coming up this week on the Course Life podcast at the Travelers Championship. We had a New Englander lift the trophy in a very emotional fashion. We get into Keegan's victory, and we have a massive announcement regarding an upcoming trip that changes everything for the podcast. Plus, we're tuned into Asteroid City and my trek to Greater Austin Comic Con. And this week's guest, very neat perspective from the game of golf. Maybe our first true golf course designer and architect, Trip Davis, joining the show. Plus, we're talking all things Irish food when we always end with food. All of it brought to you by our friends, our longtime friends at Desert Fox Golf. They're the makers of the phone caddy, makers of the swing aid tumbler, and makers of great golf accessories that go perfectly for any size golf event or corporate function. Mike, you and I see it all the time when we see and play these events at courses. There's always a goodie bag full of wonderful toys for the golfer. What better than to get them something they can actually use on the course forever? Desert Fox does a great job with large-scale golf events, and if you tell them that Course of Life sent you and you purchase at least 100 items from Desert Fox Golf for your next corporate outing or event or club function, you will get a $100 referral bonus. That's right. Just mention Course of Life when you go to DesertFoxGolf.com and shop or contact the team for your event today. Again, a $100 referral bonus, all for getting great things for your friends, your family members, your coworkers who love to play the game. Check out Desert Fox Golf today. interwebs and welcome to course of life we are proud to be presented by our friends at desert fox golf and the live take app i'm michael he's alex and alex it happened a new englander won in new england yes it happened very loosely i mean you you know we're in central connecticut as we discussed last week Maybe the border of, of what borders on New England and tri-state area, uh, but yes, we did technically have a New Englander lift the trophy in Keegan Bradley. So, so for that, I was cheering on Sunday. Yeah, Keegan Bradley kind of coasted to victory, had a couple bogeys in the back nine. His only real blemish on the whole week, uh, really a, a big wire to wire victory for him. Just looked fantastic. That sixty two to start uh, that Thursday. By the way, can we just say how that Thursday included what like sixty twos? The 59 watch, it had a hole-in-one for Rory McIlroy, which he's, I've surprisingly never done on the PGA Tour True. before. A lot of things happened that I don't think we expected to have happen. There was the a lot of fireworks early in the week, and I screenshotted Keegan Bradley being five under through five. I had him in my run your pool picks last week, so I was glad to finally get that seventh outright win on the 2023 golf calendar. But as soon as I saw that hot start Thursday, I knew it could all roll downhill and the snowball could get going for Keegan. He loves playing in the area. He just give him a little bit more energy and invigoration to, to get it done in front of his family and the hometown, quote unquote, use that loosely fans. Uh, but regardless, he took it to his advantage and yeah, wire to wire, no doubter. Always great to have one of those wins, Mike, where, where it was just never a doubt he was going to get it done on Sunday. Yeah, you know, I feel like Keegan Bradley over the last couple of years, and I think we've said this multiple times, has had this kind of resurgence. Um, if you want to say it's a resurgence, I mean, of course, he already is a major yep. champion. Um, this now his second win of the year. 
you know, I think a lot of this happened because he was trying to be, he wanted to win at the country club. You can't doubt that he wanted to win in his home turf and, and made a great run, but just wasn't able to do it last year. And like, he's just riding this wave of good play and continuing to play well. And now he's number five in the FedEx cup standings. He's, you know, he's a shoe in almost at any tournament. I feel like you got to say like he's got to be toward the top of the list. He's one of the hottest golfers in the world. If we can put him in that company with the likes of Scotty Scheffler and Rory McIlroy, I don't know if you feel comfortable doing that, but I feel like maybe he should be. Right now, in the moment, yeah, we always talk about the momentary hottest guy, and he's definitely in the top five on that list. And he's also one of those guys where he may have been an afterthought maybe six, 12 months ago, but all sorts of potential energy for a Ryder Cup team if that opportunity presents for himself. He's done it before, and we've seen him on that stage in some pretty epic fashions. He's like the quintessential Ryder Cup player. So we'll see if he officially plays his way onto the team as the year goes by. Touching on a couple other players from the week as well. Scotty Scheffler again, leading in like every category (laughs) except putting. (laughs) Scotty and Rory just making a habit out of being on the bottom of page one of the leaderboard, right? That that, that seems to be where they're both living right now. Which, by the way, the going rate for that's about 500K to a million a week. Uh, Pays very nicely, Mike. You fly private everywhere. So we're not going to hear too much from them in the complaint department, but I'm sure they'd love to be hoisting more trophies individually. Oh, yeah, definitely. But but I mean, Scotty Scheffler, what, hasn't finished outside the top 10 since October or something? <laughs> That's I think ridiculous. I saw something yeah. like that. I, I mean, again, I, I think I've said this before. Scotty is like Tiger-esque right now in his dominance, except he's just not winning as much. Right. But he's continually giving himself opportunities to win. Interesting narrative with those two. So we'll see what they do with the rest of the summer. They're definitely taking off uh, a week off this week as we get closer to that Open Championship in a few weeks as well. Also, uh, you said it already, Alex, but you have seven outright winners in your picks this year. Um, I, 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 you know, again, why isn't everyone just giving you money and you bidding for them? Yeah, that is how it works. Um, essentially feel free to donate or hit me up in the DMS on Instagram. I can gladly connect you with my Venmo at Alex L nine one eight seven. If you want to send some money away, my way for the winners that I'm just handing out for free, basically on your run, your pool.com again, run your pool.com for my weekly previews. I was glad to get that one, Mike. You remember I'd had the hot run where I had Rom at the Masters, I had Kepka at the PGA, I did not go get the crew Grand Slam chance locked up uh, with the U.S. Open pick. But regardless, coming back with the vengeance the week after, getting the Keegan win, always nice to get another one in the clubhouse as we head into the summer months here. Baltusrol hosted the KPMG Women's PGA. Mm, yes. Great finish. just... Great finish to see there. A birdie on the last gave China's Rianing Yin the victory. Just the second Chinese player to win an LPGA major. Nice. And a B-plus on the pronunciation there. Nice nice job. Thank you. Rianing Yin, the winner uh, at Baltus Rawl in dramatic fashion. About a 10-footer. Knocked the wedge close. Had to make four. She knew it. And she drained the putt. And the fascinating thing that was going on all Sunday uh, was the conversation surrounding Yin and Lin uh, were both in contention, and there's an interesting dynamic there, Mike. You see, Yin is friends with Lin to the point where they're BFFs. Yin is also Lin's landlord. So Lin is Yin's tenant. So it was a little awkward when Yin beat Lin, but Lin can't feel too bad, Mike, because Lin uh, is going to get the rent paid on time this month for sure. The Sunday's performance from Yin just guaranteed that. 
I would also raise the rent because obviously, you know, Yin's doing pretty well. She can afford to spend a little yes. more on the rent. How so. brutal would that be? Congrats <laughs> on the win. I'm proud of you for beating me. However, rent has gone up $500 a month. That's just the going rate. I'm yeah. sorry. I can't help you. Yeah. It's the price of victory on the LPGA tour. So interesting storyline with Lin and Yin playing out this past weekend. It, it was certainly a very exciting Sunday at Baltus Roll. Of course, it started with Ireland's Leona Maguire having a big lead, really, with a couple stroke lead there, I believe, at the start of the day. Yeah. Couldn't couldn't keep it going, unfortunately, and kind of fell back. But it still was an exciting finish. Again, that birdie on 18 to, to, to end. And, and I think it's uh, it's unfortunate that Maguire wasn't able to pull out the win because that would have made this episode a little more special and a little more poetic. Oh, you were looking for the ideal segue? Is that what you were going for there? I was looking for the ideal segue. I'm still trying to force it in here. but <laughs> In case you can't get right at the point and hit the nose on the head right now, the announcement is officially here. I teased it at the top. Um, we have a trip opportunity that's come our way that we, we simply could not pass up. This is one of those moments where it was a clear the deck move your plans uh, type of trip where we indeed, the Course of Life podcast, are headed to Ireland for the first time mm-hmm. in our lives. Mike, what, what was your first thought when this all actually came together? This must be a mistake. Yeah, that was maybe my first thought. <laughs> That that and what did Alex say to make this happen? Well, you always give me a couple of holy shit texts, but I got like three or four <laughs> as plans were coming together. So I knew that you were spe- especially excited for this. I, I guess we're officially media now is maybe the 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 buried lead here in all this. Um, thanks to our friends at Tourism Ireland, who we first met at the PGA show earlier this year. We are making those dreams happen. I talked about it in my conversation with David Conlon about how I'd love to see the Irish golf culture, the pubs, and everything that the great nation had to offer. And that time has come for us, Mike, in the form of a week-long trip where we are going to be playing some of the most unique Lynx golf courses in the world. Uh, let's just first get to your golf game, Mike. How are we feeling a few weeks out before you embark on the trip of a lifetime here? It's going to be embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I got to find time to play almost, you know, at least once a week for the next four weeks here so that I can at least have some semblance of a game put together um, because we're we're playing. Like you said, we're playing some pretty phenomenal courses here. I got them pulled up here if you want me to share. Yeah, them tell, tell everyone where we're, we're, we're playing. At- I know we're starting off. We're, we're landing in Dublin and we're playing right off the bat in Dublin at Royal yeah. Dublin as well. Right. Yeah, we're playing Royal Dublin Golf Club, a Harry Colt style layout. Okay. So we're going to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're going to the K Club. It's an Arnold Palmer design home of the 2006 Ryder mm, Cup. Yes. That was the emotional and, Ryder Cup, if you remember, Mike. Darren Clark had actually just lost his wife and, and yeah. had a very inspired performance there, led Team Europe to the victory. Very emotional memory that obviously you know, resonates with Irish golf fans, but European and golf fans around the world. So to go back, to that site, Mike, you and I are going to be stepping foot and playing on a Ryder Cup golf course, something I, I wasn't sure yes. we were ever going to say. It's also going to be the home of this year's Horizon Irish Open. So that's going to be pretty cool. Then we're going to the European Club, one of the world's top 100 courses um, designed by Pat Ruddy. And then finally, we're going to finish the week at Rose Lair Golf Links in Country Wexford, a 115-year-old course traditional flat links hugging the coast. It's going to be 
phenomenal. Yeah, I've tried not to give away too much, but I've taken a look at some stills from the courses. I've seen what we might be in for, and it's going to be an absolute treat. It's a few weeks away. It's going to be right after the Open Championship when we head over across the pond. Uh, So lots more coming in the few weeks as we lead up to that trip. Uh, And we'll talk a little bit about what we might be eating a little bit later in this episode Mm. as well. Yes, indeed. For now, let's look ahead to this weekend. It is the Rockage Mortgage Classic at Detroit Golf Club. Tony Finau, defending champion. Yeah, I remember. So that was a year ago when we declared Tony Finau was the hottest golfer on the planet. He won back-to-back weeks. That was a year ago. Yeah. Man, time flies. It was. Yeah, I know, right? It's crazy. So Tony Finau, is he going to win again? Is he going to is he going to repeat, or do we think this is really is Keegan Bradley going to go back to back? Now too hungover. Keegan Bradley too hungover. (laughs) Not in my picks this week. I can definitely give that away. Runyourpool.com for the full list of my picks. Um, Finau is the betting favorite right now as we talk. I I like Ricky Fowler though. How can you not? He's had a couple of really good weeks. They strung together. Had a nice sixty at Travelers in Connecticut last week. Why is he not going to contend again? It would be quite a sentimental story, Mike. He's like a a lifelong Rocket Mortgage ambassador. You freaking see a Rocket Mortgage Ricky Fowler commercial every Saturday and Sunday afternoon. So it'd be only only be fitting if he contended here this week. Yeah, my other name that I'm going to shout out for you, because I feel like you might be able to look beyond the star power that's going to be there. Yep. Not a designated event, not a lot of huge names outside of Max Homa, Tony Finau. JT is going to be there, Colin Morikawa. So there are some names there, but I'm going to call out the rookie, Sam Bennett. Oh, wow. After his Good call out. T16 finish at Augusta, he's he turned pro. So and you never know. We see we see guys get wins of the Rocket Mortgage. And he so. showed his face at the U.S. Open and played pretty well there, too, mm-hmm. into the weekend. It, one of those things where it's like, God, I've only seen Sam Bennett on my TV like five times. But every time I see him, he's in contention <laughs> at a gigantic tournament. So like, why yep. is this guy not going to work on the PGA Tour? So this would be a good week to exactly. see and, and find out if he can get it done on a, on a classic tour track. Again, Detroit Golf Club should be a fun week for the Rocket Mortgage. All right, let's switch over to Tuned In, where we share what we're tuning into outside of the world of sports. Had a little date night weekend and uh, went to go see the new Wes Anderson film, Asteroid City. Okay, I've heard about it by name, and I know of Wes Anderson, obviously. He's directed a million gems, Uh, but give us the official review on Asteroid City. Uh, Very, very good. Arguably one of Wes Anderson's best in the conversation with the likes of Rushmore and uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Okay. All right. How many How many stars uh, out of five? Are we talking four out of five stars here? I'm talking four stars here. This was very good. It was, thank God, in this age of superhero movies, under two hours, <laughs> which is just phenomenal. Um, it was funny. It was also very deep at the same time. It was the, the most personal feeling Wes Anderson movie that I've seen of his. And just wasn't as like it was. Yes, it was very Wes Anderson, but he seemed very aware of his style and seemed to try to break that mold a little bit at times. So okay. it was it was very, very good. All right. Well played. Well said. Asteroid City it is uh, on, on that note. Speaking of superheroes and, and characters alike, I had my annual trek to Greater Austin Comic Con. I know you saw the post by now. It's as weird yeah. and wild and wacky as you would expect it. Um, and, and no shortage of crazy costumes on display there either. No, I mean, it's Comic-Con. I expect to see, Did were you dressed up? That's a real question. <laughs> yeah. Were you in cosplay? <laughs> I had, So I had my N64 shirt on that I got there last year. But then I guess the new tradition I'm making is I always get a new shirt there. 
I got this amazing. Mm. I'll post it later this week. It's so great. I got this amazing Super Mario shirt where he's waving the checkered flag as he goes by the finish line. Oh, it's a gem. <laughs> but anyways, uh, lots of fun shopping to be had for the collectors out there. Uh, a re- uh, in terms of the celebs, Mike, you'll appreciate this. A Revenge of the Nerds reunion with a few of the original nice. castmates from the classic 1980s movie. Um, all sorts of different comic book characters, voice actors. Jason Griffith, the voice of Sonic the Hedgehog. How's that for a little childhood throwback right there? Um, <laughs> so all sorts of names there. Uh, your, your boy, George Takai, who, who you helped correct yes. me on his pronunciation. He was there signing autographs yes. and smiling. And, and most I've of, met him. I already you, have a picture with him, yeah, you so already you're late him. to the party here. Yeah. You already got that out of the way. <laughs> and then most importantly, Mike, James Hong, the legend, 94 years young, um, did a little reenactment of the 80s movie um, Big Trouble in Little China. And then he also talked about his time on the set at Everything Everywhere All at Once. I didn't get the Mm -hmm. Seinfeld for four out of him, which you and I know from the Chinese restaurant episode of Seinfeld. But great to see a living legend there at the Comic-Con and and cool to hear his stories from 70 years in Hollywood. How about that first stat? Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. I need to, you know, I'll be honest, it's not very high in my list of things to do to go to a Comic-Con, but I just feel like I have to go to one at least once in my life. Oh, yeah. If not just for the shopping, you just walk the aisles for an hour and then you see what random celebs are doing the panel. And the the James Hong fact I had to share with you before I go on this segment is James Hong, Mike, is probably the only alive actor, he said, that did a movie with Groucho Marx. Think about that. Uh, that's how long, wow. long he, he's been in Hollywood. So uh, really cool to see uh, Greater Austin Comic Con and, and lo- already looking forward to next year. Awesome. All right, let's get into this week's guest. We talk a lot about golf, Alex. We talk to golfers. We talk about our not very good game. Yours is significantly better than mine. Thank mine you. is right there Thank as you. an average American golfer shooting in the low hundreds. Sure. That's what the average American golfer does. Um, but we got a little different perspective now coming to the show because we have a golf course architect that you talk to. Yeah, that's right. Trip Davis is the guy behind the courses that we love. You know, we we play these courses so often and you play the game and you play the game around the world and you often take for granted kind of how the courses got to be. You just you just expect them and accept them for what they are because you're seeing them at face value. But Trip really talks about the process from nothing to everything, the renovations he does, and he gets very candid about his favorite type of golf courses as well. We'll get to this conversation with Trip in just a second. But first, let's talk to you by our friends at the Live Take app. We've been talking about them for the last couple of weeks. And if you've been paying attention, you know that we're also there on the Live Take app every week where we're debating sports with our vicious hot takes, Alex. Yeah. I feel like that's a good way to say that's it. That's well put. And I'm actually already getting the, the juices flowing. We're going to work in some sort of Ireland debate related sports debate on the live take app. I'm, I'm still workshopping mm. it, but uh, we're going to have to figure out what they watch over there, you know? Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, obviously it's where we go to, to get our arguments off. We get our, our skip and Stephen a off and it's, it's where you can vote on who's right and wrong and everything in the world of sports and debate as well. Too. That's right. There's more than just us there. There's a lot of other people on there. You can even be on there as well, dropping your own hot live takes to see what other people think of your opinions. Just search for live take on the app store that you've got. Check it out. You can also go back in the last week's episode and hear an interview with the live take founder as well to get a little more info into what's going on there. So again, check it out in your app store. It's live take. Check them out today.
Next up on the tee from Norman, Oklahoma, he's a renowned golf course architect designer with a very cool playing background as well and a lot of history in the game. It's Trip Davis joining us here on the Course of Life. Trip, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Definitely. It's great to have you on. I think this is a first for us. We featured lots of people from the world of golf, but we haven't gotten to quite connect with an architect or golf course designer. And, and you do a very specific type of design that's very popular in the game these days. And we'll get to that uh, in a bit. But I guess just start us off with kind of wh- where you're currently at, where you're, where you're currently working right now. We are, um, and I'm actually today, I'm down in Florida. We're working at Gasparilla Inn and Club. It's um, a really cool um, old uh, hotel inn. It was built uh, uh, 1910, and uh, um, the golf course was first built in 1930. Wow. And then uh, Pete Dye came in in um, 2000, 2001, and uh, basically built a new golf course. Uh, kept a lot of the same routing, but built a new course. And so we're in here now doing mostly renovation. Um, it's a little bit of uh, restoration as well because uh, you know Pete's courses are worth uh, um, keeping alive and restoring and keeping the playing and tenant around and and so we're here and then we're also at uh, Ridgewood Country Club in Waco, Texas, which is a is an old Ralph Plummer design and most people don't know who Ralph Plummer is, but he was uh, a guy that did a lot of work in Texas, did champions in Houston, and uh, and then also doing. Um, next phase of work at a club in Midland, Texas. So I've uh, been working in Texas a little bit lately, but um, uh, it's been fun working in Florida too. Nice. Well, when you get to Austin, we'll definitely connect. Those are some cool different venues. So so how do you split your time between Florida and Texas? How does that work when you're kind of juggling multiple projects at the same time? Well, I tend to base out of one project at a time. Um, and then I've got two other guys that work with me that have been with me for uh, 18 years and 14 years. And so we, okay. They like you if they hung around that long, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe I pay well, I don't know, but okay. Yeah. That's um, um, the, um, the way that we normally go about it is, is, um, um, I'll be on one project, um, uh, most of the time. And then, um, and then I'll get over and make a lot of visits on the other one. It's just, um, we only try to do two or three at a time. Two's perfect. Three's a little bit of a push for us, um, just simply because we do a lot of the, um, you know, we're very hands-on and, you know, that's a little bit of a cliche type of saying these days, but uh, what the way we do our work, you have to be there. We're very detail-oriented. And so um, uh, that's about all we really want to take on. Okay. So in terms of specifically what you do, let's talk about the, the renovation and restoration piece of golf course architecture and design. Because you know, for the amateur golf audience out there, explain what's going on now. There seems to be a really big renaissance of these classic courses, you know, getting these renovations and these facelifts. How does that work for you? You know, how do you come in and what what does your timeline look like when you're doing a project like this? Well, renovation, redesign, restoration, you know, all three of those elements can factor into a project. And it just depends on what the club is looking for, Um, you know, whether we're doing something that's getting it ready for a tournament um, or if it's uh, the golf course is at an age where the infrastructure is older and needs renovation. And uh, then oftentimes just for the modern game, we're doing redesign to adapt to uh, the modern game. It's not necessarily just the ball and the clubs and how far the pros hit it and so forth. 
but the broader audience of, of players that play, we're seeing, you know, a lot more women play. We're seeing uh, the avid golfer is aged. And so we have to be more aware of uh, where we're putting tees um, and how the course is playing in that regard. So it, it, it really starts with doing an evaluation. And I'm one that really likes to get in and, and uncover what exists um, so that we know what we're working with and what the objectives are. Um, um, and before we start thinking too much about design, uh, too often you can get in and get these uh, preconceived notions of what you want to do in your head before you really have uh, unpacked what, what needs to be done. And so right. that's the first thing that we, that we do. And then um, uh, from there, it goes into more of a design process of uh, figuring out uh, what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, and when we're going to do it. Uh, some of the renovations and restorations and redesign work that we do is, is phased over time. Uh, we do a lot of work up in the New York Met area. And, uh, you know, up there, it's, it's really hard to kind of close the golf course and do everything at one time just simply because um, they have such a short playing season. Um, whereas like in Florida and more in the south, it's not uncommon for us to shut down and do uh, all, if not, if not or most all, if not all, of what a master plan may entail. So, it, it, you know, from a timing perspective, it's all over the place. I mean, we've We've uh, um, you know, we've had projects where we've done master plans that took us two or three years to get everybody on board with, and then it might be another seven or eight years before we do the work. And then there's cases like here in Florida where we were hired to do a master plan. Um, uh, we had gotten through 90% of it, and then a hurricane hit, and uh, the project got moved up a year. We were planning on doing it in 24 and it, and it came about to where we started in January of this year. So okay. they, they can take on a lot of different time frames. Um, you know, the main thing is really making sure that the amount of time you have to do the work, you can do it all well. And if you can't, it's better to, uh, to phase it a bit over time. Sometimes we'll come in and do, like I said, you know, 90% of it, and then we'll leave 10% of it to, to do it, you know, in a frame where time frame where we have uh, the ability to do it well. Definitely well put. And I appreciate that you are looking out for every golfer out there when you, when you take those factors yeah. into account with your design. I think a lot of amateur golf fans and audience members have it in their head that the architects and designers are just out there to just ruin the day of everyone. But I appreciate that you're thinking about the broader golfer and not just the pros that hit it a million miles out there. I'm, I'm curious, when you first set foot on property, like a Gasparilla, for example, for the changes you're about to make, um, what are you first assessing? What are, the, what are the first things that you look for and see based on, we'll use Gasparilla as the current rendition of a, a restoration you're doing now. What are the first things that you see when you get to a, a track? Well, we're, one of the first things we always look for is, is the condition of the infrastructure. And when I say infrastructure, I'm saying, uh, I'm talking things like irrigation, drainage, uh, the structure of, of greens, the structure of bunkers. Um, you know, a lot of people may not understand that, you know, bunkers actually have a structure to them. It's not just a, a hole with sand in it. It's got, right. you can't just dig with your shovel in the backyard. Like I've been trying to do for my entire life. It's not that easy. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, you know, you've, you're, you're going to have, um, uh, uh, drainage underneath. You've got a certain type of soil that you may import to put, uh, as a subgrade. Uh, most all the time these days we're putting in a liner. 
which keeps the subsoils from working up into the sand um, and also just to keep the sand clean. And the type of sand you use anymore is a part of the structure. Anything that really kind of contributes to the way it's going to be maintained and how it can play, uh, any part of the golf course that applies to is, is, is a part of the infrastructure. Um, you know, turf grasses are a part of the infrastructure. Um, shade um, can be a part of the infrastructure as well because it has an impact on the way you can maintain the golf course and, and ultimately how it plays. And so, you know, I'm always, that's the first thing we have to look at is to really kind of get a good grasp on uh, the condition of the infrastructure. And most of the reasons we're brought in is because there is a need to fix some of that or to update it or renovate it. Um, it always comes to mind as to what type of club or golf course that we are dealing with. Um, obviously, some of that, you know, when you're working at, uh, at an oak tree in Oklahoma or an Atlanta Athletic Club um, where there may be tournaments that are going to be played there, that has to be part of the mindset as well. But we really want to uh, dive deep into and get into the weeds as to who's going to be playing the golf course, um, whether or not we need the golf course to be fundamentally fun to play, um, uh, which is 99% of the, the work that, that you want to do or you, uh, that we are doing. And every once in a while, we're working with a club that the, the golf course that we're working on fundamentally needs to be a challenge because they're going to have big events there. And so those are the two first things that you're looking for is what's the condition of the infrastructure and then um, uh, who's going to play there and, and, and how that's going to impact the design elements. And so um, that then leads us into studying the, the, the playing quality of the golf course. Um, uh, you know, for instance, if we've got um, 500 members and there's a group of there's a ladies group that's got 125 players in it. And ladies golf is a big part of, of, the, of the play there. And so we need to make sure that their teeing grounds, their, their location of teeing areas fit the holes. Um, in some cases, we make sure that the, the hole fits the teeing ground so that, you know, where they're going to play the holes from. Is there good variety from all the tee locations? Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's not on, it's pretty typical actually for us to find, for example, especially the, the, the most forward tees, I'm not supposed to call them ladies tees anymore. Um, or the, uh, you know, where a lot of the senior men play, you look at the par threes and they're all within a club of each other. If, if not all. Yeah. That club. is infuriating to see. I'm not, I'm not even up there, but just seeing it, it just kind of bothers me aesthetically. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so we're, we're always trying to make sure that there's good variety. Um, nice. and, and so, um, these are all things that you're looking for before you start any kind of design. You want to make sure you understand what's existing, who you're working for, what you're working for, what the objectives are. And, and then that's when you start to get in, get into design. Interesting. I'm curious if there's anything kind of in your stylings of your designs that you've noticed, you know, you've spent a career playing the game and now designing courses. Are there things that that stick out or that you know is like your calling cards or like your signature, you know, design features? You know, when you think of a Donald Ross and the courses I played in New England growing up, I think of greens that run off in every single direction. And you think of all these different people that kind of impart their wisdom on their designs. Are there anything over the years or certain golf course design features that that have become like your, you know, popularized moves or go-tos or, or things that you, you like to feature as often as you can? Well, you know, from a, a stylistic perspective, um, every site we work with is different, especially when you're doing historic restoration. 
um, and or there's, you know, even if it's not a um, sympathetic restoration, a pure restoration these days just doesn't make much sense because the games change so much. But mm, yeah. but when you're doing sympathetic restoration, similar to a lot of what we've seen on TV at courses here in the last you know few years, even um, you're you're trying to uh, bring that style back, what the original architect wanted or what he was doing and so forth. And so in doing a lot of that restoration work, you end up uh, adapting to those styles. You're having to adapt the way that the infrastructure fits to to be maintainable with those styles. And so um, I think it's been one of the best things for me as an architect when we're doing projects where there isn't a style and it really it falls to me to come up with what works best to have worked on so many different um, courses by a number of different architects that had vastly different styles. And, and so that that's bunker styling, that's positioning of features strategically, the strategic style. Uh, and then obviously greens um, become a big part of that as well. And I tend to gravitate toward, towards those projects that um, where the greens complexes historically have been pretty interesting. And, and I've been influenced by that both as an architect um, and from my understanding of play on and around greens as a player. Um, I guess one calling card for us would be the fact that our greens are going to fall off in a lot of different directions. Not unlike Ross or Pete Dye was very much that way. Uh, okay. Perry, Max- Perry Maxwell was very much that way. And, uh, you know, as a result, we've ended up doing a lot of that kind of work. And, um, but you know, the, what they were so good at as it relates to why I kind of went that way is when you've got greens that, that have, um, uh, slopes that move in a lot of different directions, it makes it more of a challenge to match up line and speed for your good players. Um, and, um, when you take the speed of greens today and you kind of adapt the contours that those guys did originally, and you bring them down into modern, um, speeds, uh, you end up with greens that are not that difficult to to two putt, but if you're going to try to make too many, you know, if you're trying to make a lot of birdies from 20, 25, 30 feet, you got to really match up line and speed well. And I think that's something that that um, I think I've really gravitated towards. And but have a calling card if you're playing any of our greens, um, it's it's a challenge to match up. Uh, line speed making birdie. Putt. I appreciate that. Yeah, the undulation is a unique game in, in, in the putting aspect of golf, and 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 the value of having those runoff greens. I know it's a devilish little feature for the amateurs out there, but when you hit one of those greens, I just feel like the value of the green in regulation is is just double fold when they run off in every direction like that. So that's always a fun feature that I, I like seeing as well too. Again, we're, we're catching up with Trip Davis here, golf course architect and designer. TDAgolf.net's the website. Um, let's get into some just quick shot questions here. Uh, let's talk about uh, courses on tour, uh, and we'll go a couple different ways. First, um, I want to ask about maybe something a little shorter and old school, and then maybe something a little bit more newer and modern. Let's start with kind of the more classic venue first. When you think about kind of all the different venues in the PGA Tour, we're running this interview in June, and we've already seen uh, courses like Colonial and Harbor Town, and all of these interesting little old school layups that aren't the longest in nature, but they present an interesting challenge in their own right. I'm curious, what's like your favorite kind of maybe like throwback or, or slightly undersized PGA Tour venue out there? Well, I'm personally, I'm a bigger fan of the old classic golf courses that present angles. 
and where length is not the uh, the most valued trait that a player can have. Um, I think Harbortown and Colonial are are uh, two of the best. Uh, Oak Hills and San Antonio actually, you know, used to be on tour and is still. Um, it's a golf course we we re, reworked uh, a few years ago. That's yeah, I remember same, seeing it in some Champions same. Tour events, I think, as well too. Oak Hills. They did, yeah. um, but that style of golf course really makes a player have to think, and you have to work your ball. You have to be able to. Uh, um, figure out ways to work around different things. And length is not the most important factor. And uh, when you can present that with firm conditions, it, it's, it allows the rest of the field to be able to compete. And, uh, you know, personally, I think that's one of the ways in which we get the game back to where it's not so much about power. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's presenting golf courses where the players have to think a little more. Um, CPC Sawgrass, even though it's not, you know, uh, it was, you know, built in the late seventies, early eighties. Um, it's of that same style, um, same classic substance, I'll say, um, you know, Pete Dye has certainly presented golf courses in a unique way visually, but it's the substance of his golf courses are very, very classic in nature. And so, um, I'm a big fan of that style of design. I actually said that, you know, in an interview not too long ago, that if, if the guys on tour played Colonial, TPC Sawgrass, and Harbortown every week on tour, we wouldn't have to roll the ball back because they do it themselves. <laughs> yeah, I know. it is. Those are thinking man's courses for sure. And yeah, Sawgrass, you know, for as brutal as it is, it really hasn't been lengthened that much. It really hasn't gotten that out of control by any standard. So um, I guess let's let's shout out, it doesn't necessarily have to be a Bomber's Paradise or a big course, but let's just maybe shout out a newer course or, or just something that's on your radar that may not be on the, the entire golf world's radar, uh, maybe a newer track out there. It could be a PGA Tour venue or just one that you've come across that, that you'd like to shout out that's that's kind of maybe showing off the, the more newer, modern architecture in the game well there's uh you know there's there's a good many of them i mean you know and, and there was a period of time um especially through the 80s um and then when we got into trying to tiger proof golf courses yes yeah <laughs> where we added a lot of length um you know you you ended up uh, uh creating that that more penal style of design that's really longer um it's more about execution and, um, you know, it's hit the middle of the fairway, find the green, you know, and, and survive for the next hole. And, um, um, you know, obviously there's been a lot of golf courses that have been renovated and redesigned to fit that mold. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and I, I think some of them are, um, I think, took the game, uh, you know, and, and, and made length too valuable an asset for a player to have. Um, so I think some of the golf courses that I've seen, you know, that are long, but still allow a lot of different types of players to compete are, are, um, what I've really gravitated towards. And, you know, sometimes, um, you, you might have a golf course that's 7,700 yards or 7,600 yards on the scorecard. You don't always have to use all that length. You can, you can move them, you know, things around. And I think, you know, I think the guys that do course setup in USGA, PGA of America, and the PGA Tour have gotten a lot better at, at using the golf course in a way where they're not, you know, exceptionally long. Um, I, I think Aaron Hills was one golf course where they played an open where I think um, um, I think it did a pretty good job of, of 
of uh, creating um, a different type of uh, playing test. Um, and uh, I have not played it myself yet, but I really... That uh, is a very cool track. Yeah, it's got like a little bit of a whistling straights vibe, but it's also kind of on its own as well. It's got some, some unique sight lines too. You know, so honestly, I have spent most of my time focusing on uh, golf courses and, you know, that I like to do um, and, you know, bringing them back to where sight lines and, and playing lines and angles and distance control is more of value. The, you know, I think we went through a period where that was moved away, where we moved away from that. But I think we've moved back towards mm. um, being more mindful of uh, the play of the game and it not being just about execution. You know, um, a lot of your best modern courses, um, Sand Hills in Nebraska is one I'm really familiar with, having played there a decent amount. Um, of a more modern golf course that is is really good, and then I think some of the modern restoration work and renovation work that's been done that's that's brought length to the course, but's done it in a way that's retained and or even enhanced uh, those playing lines and distance control and angles have been really good. Los Angeles Country Club, where we're, they're going to play the uh, Open here shortly, is is outstanding. Um, it's uh, it's an old golf course, but um, Gil Hans did just an unbelievable job there with, with, uh, making that fit and, uh, uh, Southern Hills, another one that he did that I thought, you know, he did a very good job as well. And so I think, you know, honestly, I haven't played too many modern golf courses that, that I've liked. <laughs> I, I hate to, you know, kind of put it on my brothers that way, but no, that's um, okay. It's candid. And it, and it tells me that you definitely are of the traditionalist aspect of the game and you want to keep those yeah. values in, in the courses that you see today. So that's fine. Yeah. I think that, you know, and, 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 and that's the, one of the great things about golf course design is what I don't like someone else may like, you know, may love. And that's, that's perfectly okay. That's the way that uh, that's one of the the great things about the game is that we don't play on a on a standardized field, and uh, so there's a lot of different ways that you can go about creating uh, an interesting experience. and And I tend towards more of that more uh, uh, strategic side of design that that is geared more towards classical playing elements. Very cool. Uh, one random one, because I know you've got a, a wide portfolio. I'm curious, what's maybe one of your favorite views or vistas on a, on a course you've worked on? Well, the one I have right now is not all bad because we're right on Charlotte Harbor, um, Gasparilla Inn. We've got, uh, I haven't counted, I, had a, let's see, I think we've got five holes that are right on Charlotte Harbor. And it's kind of interesting when you're working on a site like that, you know, you get so tied into those you know, millimeter changes you're making on greens and, you know, those minor changes you're making here that you don't really pay attention to it as often as you should. Um, but <laughs> yeah. that's, that's pretty cool. And, and, and another one we're working on now at, at Ridgewood and Waco looks, uh, it's a, it's in the hill country um, of Texas and it looks out over Lake Waco, some of the most beautiful vistas and views you've ever seen, but we've been really fortunate to have the opportunity to work in some pretty cool places. And, Every every site has its own, like Atlanta Athletic Club that we did last year. You know, when you're walking through those Georgia pines and you know standing, you know it's a it's not a very hilly site, but it's got some movement to it, and you're moving through the shadows and 
uh, that's pretty magical too. Love that. I appreciate the Waco Hill Country shout out. Some people might be confused if they haven't been to Texas before, but that is not a lie. There is wonderful hill country out in Texas and some stunning views if you get to the right spots. Um, so I'll definitely have to check out that course as well too. Let's talk about your playing career real quick because I know you had a really neat honor being part of the Oklahoma Sooners team that won national championship. Um, your your college golf experience and kind of maybe how that shaped not not only you know how you play the game but but how you view the game from a design perspective as well too. What were your fondest memories of playing in college? Um, well, playing at, at Oklahoma, um, um, and we had really good teams. I mean, I was uh, I wanted to go somewhere where I was going to be challenged, and and when I first my first year and a half there, I was not sure I made the right decision. <laughs> I was exceptionally challenged. Um, you know, we, in the four years I was in school there, we had 18 All-Americans and and really you can only have, you know, five a year. Um, if you're starting five, I'll make All-American, then uh, that's 20 in four years. And we had 18. And, Jeez, uh, wow. Um, and so we were really, really good for a period of time there. And and uh, they're they're back there again. I mean, Ryan Hibble, the coach at, at Oklahoma now, is exceptional. But my playing experience there was was a challenge. It was, uh, um, you know, I look back on uh, a lot of it as being uh, something that molded me, and I think that was great. Um, it wasn't, uh, you know, at times it wasn't fun. Um, but at the end of the day, it molded me into someone who was more resilient, I think. And um, uh, as a golfer, it, it, it definitely taught me how to think my way around the golf course because I was not very long. Um, I was a very good putter, um, but I had to think my way around the golf course. And that really helped me as I got out of school. I, I've stayed in school and got my master's in landscape architecture. So I kind of knew wh- which way water moved. But, um, um, you know, it, the playing experience really of having to think my way around the golf course to get good enough to be, um, a player that that played at Oklahoma um, was really helpful and strong. Definitely. I think it helps with your versatility and your design work as well, too. Very cool. Well, I, I did bring you up a little bit with the Oklahoma experience, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to bring you down real quick. I told you before we hopped on, I'm not professing to be a Longhorn, and I'm not a Texas Longhorn myself, but what are your Sooners going to do to right the wrong of last year's Red River rivalry in that 49 nothing uh, result <laughs> trip? We, you, get, you guys got to have some answers there in Norman for next season, right? I, I hope so. I was at that game. Oh and, no, jeez. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, I hope you enjoyed the food at the state fair at least. Well, we um, my daughter lives in Dallas, um, and we were, and she's been the last two years for me and you know, with me. And two years ago, when when Caleb Williams came in and and rallied us to win, you know, there was a point in the fourth quarter somewhere where the, I've never been in a venue that had that much energy. And she mm-hmm. looks over at me and she went to Oklahoma State. And this is not too much of a knock on Oklahoma State, but she looks at me and she said, so this is a college football game. <laughs> yep. And, and uh, but this year, uh, uh, middle of third quarter, she was saying, Dad, I think I'm ready for a beer. <laughs> yep. When it's time, it's time, I guess, right? Yeah. But, but, you know, we, it was a learning process for our coaching staff and, and uh, they've recruited well. Um, a lot of people don't realize that we were like 11 points from being 10 and three last year too. So, um, there were a lot of close games. Yeah. I remember that. I think, I think we'll be okay. 
I'm curious in terms of OU, um, take me to, to Norman and we'll finish with food questions that we always, like we always do here. Take me to Norman. What's like the, uh, the tailgate scene? What's, what are your memories of like a tailgate and a game day in Norman? Well, tailgating in Norman is, uh, it's, it's not as widely known as like the Grove at Old Miss, but there's a really, really strong tailgating presence there. And, uh, there's a, there's a lot of room across the stadium to the east, northeast of the stadium where uh, a lot of tailgating and uh, it's a big scene. Um, uh, the the Chippin Club, which is the fundraising arm of the, the golf program at Oklahoma, has a big tailgate. That's where I kind of tend to gravitate. Um, but it's a it's a pretty neat place. Uh, game game days in Norman are, are really cool, which is one of the reasons I'm looking forward to going to the SEC, because. I think it'll be fun to have those schools come to Norman, and I'm kind of looking forward to going and seeing some of uh, uh, places like Athens and and uh, Knoxville and so forth too. Yeah, and maybe you and I can both agree that we can just both try and beat up on A and M at the same time. How's that sound? <laughs> yeah, I actually have a guy that works for me is uh, an A and M grad, so I have to be a little tempered. I don't want him to feel too bad. But <laughs> Should be fun. Trip. Nice. Hey, Trip. Thanks again for hopping on. We always wrap with our nineteenth hole question, though. Um, so let's get into it. I think you're probably in a nice clubhouse venue yourself right now as we record. Um, but let's just picture that you're in a great nineteenth hole and you just finished a great day out working on your course. Uh, when you get into the club clubhouse what's like your favorite meal and drink to order well um you know i usually end up gravitating towards the local stuff and uh, um, i've had to be a little bit more careful but i'm a big fan of barbecue um and then working down here in florida i've learned that grouper is a really good fish mm, um, yes but um uh, um uh, and I also like steak. I'm a big fan for steak, so I tend to gravitate towards those as well. But drinking wise, I've uh, uh, I'm 55 now, and I still try to play a little bit of golf. And and I've got arthritis, so I I uh, take a medicine that when I drink, when I I never drank that much anyway. But um, I've had to kind of just quit because I I um, it it. it bothers me in the mornings and, and I just don't have the time to be hung over anymore. <laughs> All right. So surf, surf and turf and a water and a medication. How's that sound? There you go. All right. Perfect. Hey, Trip, thank you so much for hopping on the course of life. Uh, appreciate it. Looking forward to following your future designs as well too. And uh, hit them straight when you're out there too. All right. Thank you. That interview with Trip is brought to you by our friends at Zencaster. Alex and I have been using Zencaster really since, I feel like it's been since the beginning of this podcast, Alex. Yeah, and probably the most unsung hero of this entire podcast, like even more mm-hmm. than you and I being here, is the fact that Zencaster has saved us and come through in so many clutch moments when we absolutely needed them to give us like the best possible production of these episodes. Uh, so we are forever thankful for, for Zencaster, in case you can't hear that. It's it's true. And it's so easy. It's now super easy to record a podcast with Zencaster. You log in using your browser and start recording a high quality podcast right away. You record studio quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. You feel a sense of Zen knowing that Zencaster's nice. multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. That's something I love. You can also sound your best. You can have uh, if you're worried that you're not going to sound right. Zencaster's 
post-production process makes you sound buttery smooth. It automatically removes those ums and ahs in your recording. It removes those awkward pauses in conversations too, so you can set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a click of a button. So you can go to Zencaster, that's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com slash pricing and use our code course of life and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. If you want to have the same easy experiences that we do for all of our podcasting and content needs, it's time to share your story. And we're back. Great chat there with Trip. Love to hear the process that goes in to everything, to developing a course. I wish I was a better golfer, Alex, to really be able to fully appreciate <laughs> right. everything that goes into this. Yeah, you're very well versed in the tree landscape on golf courses. I know that. You're, you're pretty well versed Obviously. in bunkers <laughs> as well, too. But um, yeah, as opposed to everything else and actually how it goes from nothing to something, really cool to get Trip's perspective there. And you know what? I appreciate his candidness there. A, a lot of guests you know, might just give me kind of the boilerplate answer about a newer course layout that they like but he really is an old school guy and loves the traditional layouts of the game and he's keeping that tradition alive with his design so check out trip and his website again trip davis a really really cool architect in the game that a name we're going to watch out for i feel like we're going to see his courses on, on tv in the future as well and if you like that conversation with Trip plus everything else we do here on this podcast, make sure you punch that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Give us a rating to one star, two star, three star, four star, thumbs up, a comment even saying that you love us or you hate us. Uh, we just crave attention of any kind. That's why we've been doing this for uh, Alex. I think we've been doing this for almost five years now. Almost. Yeah. My anniversary gift yeah. to you is a trip to Ireland. How's that sound? I appreciate it. Right. If that's what I get every year, then I'm going to keep doing it forever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk a little baseball real quick, Alex, because this has taken Twitter and Instagram and everything really kind of by storm right now. And that is Derek Jeter joining the Fox team and the gift he got from David Ortiz. Oh, uh, yes. Classic poppy <laughs> going over the top and just being a, a very giving, generous man, as he always is known to be. Um it's funny because the rumor back in Derek Jeter's playing career was that he would have his dalliances with, you know, name your female partner, and he would famously mm -hmm. give them a gift box on the way out. Now, this never really ever got confirmed or denied fully, but I find it interesting that now Poppy is carrying it forward and, and giving a, a gift of his own to the new host. Uh, I love to see David Ortiz giving Jeter a Red Sox jersey. Now, just the fact of Derek Jeter opening up a Red Sox jersey was a, was a weird mm -hmm. sight to see in 2023. I'll say that. It was, but it wasn't just Red Sox jersey. It had Jeter's number two and his name on the yeah. back of it, which, of course, prompted Jeter to then throw it off the table <laughs> uh, and say to get it out of here and then said, well, it was great joining the team. I guess I'm done with Fox now. So there you go. Man. Hey, he's still loyal <laughs> to you guys, I guess you can say that yeah. right there. I guess so. I, I also I think it's worth pointing out that you remember a number of years ago when David Ortiz was on a This Is Sports Center commercial and he was with uh, Jorge Posada in a meeting room and was looking at Posada's hat and saw that it wasn't broken in and he tried to break it in and put it on just when Wally walked by and saw Ortiz wearing a Yankees hat. Mm, maybe he's trying to make up for lost time and that that doesn't look maybe. great for him now looking back. Okay. <laughs> 
there you go. Let's uh, hashtag always end with food. Yeah, good stuff. Food segment to end every course of life podcast. And I guess this is a special one because my mind started churning as soon as the trip mm. details got confirmed that we were actually going to freaking Ireland. I still can't believe it. But it immediately dawned on me that we are going to be all in on Irish food for a week, Mike. Okay. Did, do you know what that yep. means? Are you fluent in Irish food? I got, I got a few rapid fire questions to throw your way. I, I think, unfortunately, I'm going to get confused with Scottish food sometimes, <laughs> and I know that's not a good thing to do. So I'm going to try to like not say those things. Okay. Well, I'm just going to give you three words that's just going to be a good, soft landing spot for us all week. Okay. Fish and chips. Yep. Love it. Love fish and that's chips. That's going to work. All right. Now, what are your thoughts on beans for breakfast, though? Uh, not a fan. Yep, even those are going to be them, everywhere. Seeing them on a plate even is like, ugh. Those are going to be everywhere. You're going to yeah. need a go-to uh, food or snack or something to review, Mike. So you're going to have to think about what that is. I'm going to mm-hmm. give you a little time, but that's a little brainstorm for you and some homework for next week. So think about what that, that snack might be. You're going to be trying a lot of it, whatever it is. I, I mean, I expect to be golfing and eating my way through this country and either needing to be rolled out on back onto the plane uh, or carried because of my exuberance for hitting holes and holding ones on every course we play. Imagine if you make an ace on this trip. God. Oh God, I'm never leaving Man, Ireland we can only if that drink, happens. Right? I'm sorry. I'm sorry to my wife. I love her. I, I love living with her. <laughs> if I get a hole in one in Ireland, I'm not coming back home. <laughs> there it is. There it is. You just said it live on audio. And uh, the bakeries, Mike, mm. um, Irish soda bread. I'm seeing that a Guinness cake is apparently a thing and mm-hmm. it looks amazing. Uh, so you're definitely going to have to do some bakery scrounging in Dublin and, and the South too as well. Definitely. Definitely. I'm looking forward to eating everything. Even if it's something I wouldn't eat, I will maybe try it. <clears throat> maybe. Yeah. And the, and the last <laughs> crazy thought is you're, you're by no means an alcohol drinker, but if you were to try one sip of something, would it be a sip of a Guinness pint or would it be a sip of an Irish whiskey? Um, I mean, in keeping with what my father always drank, I guess it should be a whiskey. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what that has to offer this week. But it's going to be a fun week. Like I said, Dublin and parts south of Ireland. We're going to be all over it. We're just a few weeks away, so let the taste buds salivate for now. Yes, indeed. I am looking forward to it. All right, that's a wrap on this week's Course of Life and always end with food. Again, subscribe right now if you haven't already. It just takes one moment while I do this idle side talk and talk about how we're wrapping up another great episode. Thank you and have a good week.